Let's read together. I'm, I'm in the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there are pew Bibles in front, so please do grab one of those. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when, sorry, this microphone is slipping. Let's start again. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. I love this testimony. I love this story. And the more I've studied it this week, the more I've realized there are so many angles to look at this story from. There's so much to get from it. And I'm going to do my best in the next half an hour or so to try and compact and condense all of God's truth that's revealed to us in this short account of the healing of blind Bartimaeus, the beggar. Because this account speaks to us, firstly, it tells us that Christ is a healer. Christ is a healer. We believe and serve a, a healing God. And I have read many commentaries this week and many expositions of this particular passage. And sadly, so many of them have missed out on this bare fact. Uh, because this story is, in a wider sense, about more than healing. And I'm going to get to that. But it's wrong for us to skip over the fact that this is ultimately a testimony of physical healing. And so I want to take a moment just to proclaim that truth to you. That Jesus Christ is today a healer. The same as he was 2,000 years ago to this man, blind Bartimaeus. So I want to proclaim that and I pray that those of you sitting here today and those of you listening on YouTube or SoundCloud or wherever, whatever is going on for you, whether you have physical ailments, whether you have disabilities or pain in your body, I want you to remember this truth also that Jesus is a healer that Jesus is a healer. Yes, sometimes he chooses to heal through medicine, through surgery, but equally, we get from this testimony that he also heals supernaturally. Now, I've experienced this personally. I don't just proclaim it because it's written here for us, but I've seen God heal personally. I remember years ago, remember the big Sainsbury's, you know, the big one in Chapel Ash? As that was being built, 
I was walking out into town with Maggie and a few others going out to evangelize. And we saw some of the guys who were working on the big Sainsbury's building just sat on the side of the road having their lunch. They were sat on a wall. And um, as we were walking past, I just got this sense suddenly to, that this man sat next to me on the wall might have a problem in his body. I don't know where the thought came from. I wasn't particularly feeling spiritual that day. I just got a sense that maybe this man had pain in his body. So I asked the man, I said, excuse me, sir, have you got pain in your knee? And he looked at me and put his sandwich down. And I think he thought he was on Darren Brown or something like that. And he said, yes, I do. I've got pain in my leg um, and it's really bad. And I said, would you mind if, if we pray for you? And he said, no, of course. So we prayed for him and I asked him to check his knee again. And to his astonishment, I've still got the video today. He stood up and he said, I don't know what to tell you, but the pain's completely gone. What have you done? <laughs> and so I believe not just through doctrine and through this scripture that Christ is a healer, but I know it through experience. And I would encourage you today to remember the same again. Don't give up on praying for healing. Take encouragement from this passage today. The fact that blind Bartimaeus has to shout a number of times before Christ stops still and comes to him. You know, sometimes we're very quick to give up on praying for healing, aren't we? And I understand. But let's take encouragement from Bartimaeus' testimony today. The second thing I get from this passage is ultimately that this is more, sorry, that this is about more than physical healing. This is more than about physical healing. Because at the very end of the passage, Jesus says to the man, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now we might read that and think it's pretty unremarkable. Yeah, his faith has healed him. However, in the Greek, the word that is translated made you well isn't the normal Greek word for healing. The Greek word for healing is iaomai. It's where we get iatrician from. Have you ever heard that word before? Doctor, okay? Iaomai, but that's not the word here. Jesus actually says, go your way, your faith has sozoed you. Sozo is the word save, I save, I heal, I make whole. And so that word is not there by any accident. This story of Bartimaeus' healing is about salvation. It's a picture for us of salvation. Thirdly, this tells us something about our natural state. It tells us something about the natural state of all mankind, that in a sense, before we come to Christ, we are all blind Bartimaeus. We are all blind, poor, and beggarly. Fourthly, this passage tells us that faith has something to do with making us well. That our faith has a role in salvation and in healing. And fifthly and finally, it tells us something about discipleship. Something very important about discipleship. It tells us that being a Christian isn't just about believing in Jesus. It's not simply about saying once in our lives, Jesus, I believe in you. I make a decision for you. But it's about following him as well. Bartimaeus is sozoed, but he doesn't go his way, does he? He turns around and follows Jesus in the way, we're told. 
So let's begin at the start of the passage. Let's work through this together and see where we end up. We know from the previous few times we studied Mark that Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem. We're now getting closer and closer to Passover week. And at this point, he has traveled from east of the Jordan. He's come across the Jordan River in the country of Perea. And now he has arrived in Jericho, which is about 15 miles to the sort of west, northwest of Jerusalem. Jericho, I want to talk a moment about Jericho so we've got this clear in our minds. There's a few um, matters of apologetic interest here that I want to touch on. Jericho was not the city that we read about in the book of Joshua. It's different. Joshua's taking of Jericho was 1,400 years in the past from the moment that Jesus walks into it. A new Jericho had actually been built near the site of the old Jericho. And this new Jericho was world famous. It was world famous for its plantations. These plantations grew lots of flowers and sort of scented plants that were used in the production of perfumes in the ancient world. And these perfumes from Jericho would be sold and taken all over the ancient world. And in fact, they were so well known that Mark Antony actually gave the city of Jericho to his wife, Cleopatra, as a gift in AD 35. Such was the renown of this new modern Jericho. So it, we're not talking about the old Jericho with the crumbled down walls. That ruin was still there, but actually we're talking about modern Jericho, which was by that point a thriving, bustling, busy trade route. And I want to deal also just quickly with a few bits of interest in the other Gospels. We've talked before as a church, haven't we, about how the Gospels are eyewitness accounts. They are historical documents, first century historical Greek documents. Don't ever let anybody tell you that the Gospels were written 300 years after the events. You ever heard that before? So much nonsense goes around and unfortunately so many Christians are not trained and equipped to answer the questions and the claims of skeptics. I hear many people say, well, the Bible was written by Constantine in AD 3 whatever and you know, he just made the Bible up in order to control people in the Roman Empire and it could not be further from the truth. The Gospels were written in the first century AD. And the more we know about the Gospels, the more we realize they were written relatively soon after the events that they describe. What's interesting about them is that each Gospel covers the same events, but often in a slightly different way. And so when we come to this story of blind Bartimaeus, Matthew, Mark and Luke describe the same events in a slightly different way. For example... Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel say that this miracle happened as Jesus was leaving Jericho, whereas Luke says it happened as he was drawing near to Jericho. So is there a contradiction? Is there a contradiction between these accounts? Now, I'm going to look briefly at a couple of different explanations for this. And you can make your own mind up which is the most agreeable. These are ways of seeing these different accounts and harmonizing them because I believe that the Bible 
is the word of God. Though it's written by many different writers, I believe that the Bible speaks with one voice, even though it is written by many people. And so we ought to be able to understand it as that. There are no contradictions in the Bible. So one way of looking at this that is explained by George Whitfield, the great English preacher, is this way of looking at it, that Jesus crosses over the Jordan, comes to the outskirts of Jericho and sets up camp or lodges somewhere for the night. And then the next day, he sets out towards Jerusalem and goes through the modern city of Jericho. So in Mark's description, he came to Jericho, he camps, and then he sets out from Jericho. So in a sense, he is both leaving Jericho, but also drawing near to Jericho as he passes it by on his way to Jerusalem. There's another explanation as well that says that because there were two cities of Jericho, the ancient city of Jericho and the modern city of Jericho, that explains any apparent contradiction. Perhaps some of the gospel writers were referring to the ancient Jericho and others referring to the modern Jericho. But either way, there doesn't seem to be an explicit con um, contradiction here because wherever these events happened, they happened near, in, or around Jericho. Secondly, in Matthew's gospel, it says that there were two blind men, but in Luke and in Mark, it only mentions one. Again, there's no contradiction here. It's simply that an extra amount of detail is included in the gospel of Matthew, where he says there were two. But Mark goes further and talks about the name of this blind man that was healed. Do you remember the last time when we looked at the story of the Sons of Thunder and one of the gospel writers says that it was their mother that asked, please grant for them to sit one at your left and one at your right in the kingdom. Whereas the other gospel says it was James and John that asked this question. Again, one gospel includes certain details that the other one leaves out. That doesn't necessarily mean there's a contradiction. So Mark chooses to cover this story in a much more personal way, calling the blind man, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Why record a blind beggar's name though? This man would have been the lowest of the low societally, somebody that was not well thought of, somebody that was not renowned. Why remember a blind beggar's name like that for all eternity? Well, many actually think that this guy, this son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus, actually went on to be a well-known disciple. They believe that his testimony, the story of his healing, was famous in the early church. And so Mark's including this testimony, saying, here is the story of that guy that you've heard of, Bartimaeus. Some believe that he was probably still around at the time when Mark wrote this gospel. So people would be able to think, yeah, I know that guy, I've heard of that guy. Interestingly as well, his name, Bartimaeus. Historians have looked into this and Bartimaeus was an Aramaic name that was actually, a, it was Jewish, an Aramaic name that was very common in that particular region of Judea at the time. Because others have said that, oh, this is a made up story. Uh, this was included much later. But actually by the time 
um, we get to the kind of second century, first century, end of first century, second century, that name is no longer in use. So we know that this is an authentic first century testimony about the healing of a blind man named Bartimaeus. So we know that he was a blind beggar. So not only was he blind, but he was poor. This man was the least desirable of all. And in fact, what's interesting is that he wasn't actually the, own, the only poor beggar or poor sort of undesirable person that received a blessing from Jesus on that day in Jericho. Because we know from Luke's gospel that it was at this point when Jesus also called Zacchaeus down from the tree and went to eat at Zacchaeus' house. Isn't that interesting? Same day. Now Bartimaeus, let's focus on him for a moment. Bartimaeus is a picture for us. Bartimaeus is a picture for us of all humanity. He's a picture of the natural state of all mankind apart from Christ, blind and poor. This story, more than just being about healing and a testimony of a miracle, is a picture for us of what it means to be saved. Ephesians 4, verse 17 and 18 says, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. We know also from the book of Ephesians that all those who are not in Christ, they're not described as simply having wrong ideas or not seeing things clearly, but they're described as spiritually dead. That's Ephesians 2, in very strong terms. And so this blindness of Bartimaeus is for us a picture of what humanity is like, apart from the grace of God, is that we are blind. When you think of when you think of what it means to be blind, you know, I was thinking of this yesterday. We went to Whittick Manor just down the road. It was a beautiful day. The sun was, was so, it was beautiful yesterday, wasn't it? The light was perfect. And as I was looking, I was just thinking of this passage and I was thinking, you know, if I were blind, I wouldn't be able to see the sun. I wouldn't be able to see the way the light is hitting the trees and the water and how everything just looks kind of golden. I wouldn't be able to see that, but it wouldn't change the fact that it looked that way. My inability to see that beautiful view didn't mean that the view was not there, did it? That's not true. The view would have still been there. It was just I couldn't see it. I was blind to it. It wasn't that I was um, looking elsewhere. It was I was blind and I could not see the beauty around me until somebody made me able to see I wouldn't be able to appreciate it and that for us is a picture of what it's like to be apart from Christ that's what the Bible speaks sorry that's how the Bible speaks about all those who are not saved that they are blind but often we don't actually believe that as a church do we and those who are blind unlike Bartimaeus don't think that they're blind. Spurgeon said, 
our blindness, speaking about non-Christians, our blindness is of such a kind that it makes us think our vision is perfect. Whereas when we are enlightened by the Holy Spirit, we discover our previous sight to have been blindness indeed. So often we can treat those who have not been born again as though the issue wasn't their blindness, but rather God being difficult to see. We speak as though God has not given evidence to the unbeliever. And this is one of the biggest problems with modern Western Christianity. We, we don't believe what the Bible says about the state of mankind in sin. We don't believe sin is that big of a deal. Whereas the Bible speaks clearly about sin not just being the naughty things that we do, but actually affecting us to the very core of our being. That's what's meant by the reformers when they called it total depravity. It doesn't mean that you are utterly as depraved as you possibly could be. It means total in the sense that every part of your being is affected by sin until you're born again. And so, why do I say this? I say this because I've heard people say before, well, you know, I, I'm a very bright individual. That's why I don't believe in the gospel. That's why I don't believe in the Bible. You know, I'm very well educated. I'm, I'm bright. I'm intelligent. And Christians will believe that. And they go, well, he doesn't come to church because he's into science and you know, he's very clever. As if that's the reason. As if having a keen intellect will keep you from learning things about God. When in fact the Bible says it's nothing to do with their intellect. It's nothing to do with science. It's because they are spiritually blind. Romans 1 actually says that until we're born again, any evidence that's given to us about God, we won't appraise it in a neutral way. We won't take it and say, well, that's interesting. Oh, I believe that now. Romans 1 says that until Christ makes us born again, until the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, what we do is we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's a very, very serious condition. And I, unfortunately, I think in modern days, the church has believed the lie that actually humanity is not spiritually blind. Humanity can see, naturally, that sin hasn't affected our reasoning ability. Let me just explain this a bit more to you. Who's heard of Richard Dawkins? Right? I remember studying Richard Dawkins's work, The God Delusion at University. And in that series, he boldly claims that any parent that puts their child through Sunday school is participating in child abuse. That they are brainwashing their children. He calls it child abuse. It's wicked. It's wrong. The same Richard Dawkins also claims that because the universe and all humanity is just the product of mindless chance, mindless processes of mutation and natural selection. Because of that process, being mindless, being uncreated, being designless, he actually says that in the universe there is no such thing as good or evil. So how is it child abuse? How is it evil 
to put a child through Sunday school if there is no such thing as evil. Can you see the folly of that worldview? It's not intellect that keeps people from knowing God. It's blindness. And that's what this story is telling us. The difference is Bartimaeus knew he was blind. He knew his state. He knew he was blind and he wanted to see. He was fed up with his condition. His condition was a problem to him. And he was desperate and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Unless we feel some discomfort at our condition, like Bartimaeus did, we'll never cry out. How many of you felt desperate for Jesus? How many of you have cried out for him? How many of you see Jesus as your only hope in this world? That's how blind Bartimaeus was. J.C. Ryle, the, the one-time bishop of Liverpool, he said this, what is the reason that men and women are so half-hearted in seeking Christ? Why are they so soon deterred and checked and discouraged in drawing near to God? The answer is short and simple. They do not feel sufficiently their own sins. They are not thoroughly convinced of the plague of their own hearts and the disease of their own souls. Now, I'm not talking about Christians. A Christian is a new creation. A Christian has been born again. A Christian has received a new heart within them. But prior to that, prior to being born again, unless we see our own brokenness, we'll never reach out for Christ. And that's something that only God can give us. Bartimaeus couldn't see Jesus with his natural eyes, but he could see him with his spiritual eyes. Bartimaeus saw Christ better than the Pharisees could see him. What's interesting is that he asks, who's passing by? And it comes back to him. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. But he doesn't call him that, does he? He doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, son of David, a messianic title. He knew who Jesus was in a way that this crowd didn't. He was blind, but he could see. And that's the title of my message, the blind man who could see. Do you see Jesus? Bartimaeus could. Bartimaeus, though he was blind, he knew who Jesus was. And what makes me wonder is, how did he arrive at that understanding of who Christ was? All I can think, is just speculation, but all I can think is that he must have heard testimonies. He must have heard stories about this man Jesus healing the blind. Maybe he'd heard testimonies from this crowd about who Jesus was and it sparked this faith in him. And I just want to encourage you to think about how powerful your testimonies are. You never know what impact telling somebody your story of coming to know Christ might be. You never know the impact of sharing your story with someone else. Maybe in the moment they won't say, what must I do to be saved? But years from that moment on, they might think back to your story and cry out themselves, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Let's just talk a moment about this crowd as well, shall we? The Bible tells us there's a large crowd with Jesus heading up to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus knows what's going to happen there. He's already said in, in the very last story, he's told his disciples, I'm going up there to die. I'm going up there to die and three days later to rise again. And this crowd that's following him, in a few days' time, they'll be waving palm branches, welcoming him into Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna uh, to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But just a week later, I reckon many of that crowd will be also standing in the praetorium, crying out with the Pharisees and the scribes, crucify him, crucify him. Let me say this, never place too much value on the opinions of the crowd. Never put too much stock in majority opinion. Don't play to the crowd. Jesus never did. He knew what was in the heart of man. These people saw Jesus with their natural eyes, but they didn't see him with the heart like Bartimaeus did. Now, we're told that Bartimaeus begins to cry out, Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And we're told that the crowd began to rebuke him. And the word there is very strong in the Greek. They, they, they rebuked him strongly. They were embarrassed for him. They were embarrassed for Bartimaeus. They were cringing. <laughs> How many of you are cringy? I, got, I, we, I love the comments we get on social media. Just every now and again, I'll get a little notification on my phone. And I got one this week from a, a video, a one-minute segment of my preaching, just with somebody going, cringe. <laughs> I am, I am cringy. Um, but these people were stood around, and they were embarrassed for him. Oh, it's awkward. He's shouting out. It, you know, probably sounded croaky. You know, looked weird and strange. He's a blind beggar. Jesus, Jesus hasn't got time for you, buddy. Relax, relax, okay? So they're rebuking him. But we're told Bartimaeus didn't let it bother him. And we're told, actually, he, he got louder. He cried out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, I'm going to quote from J.C. Ryle because he says it better than I ever could. He says, let all who wish to be saved mark well the conduct of Bartimaeus, and walk diligently in his steps. Like him, we must care nothing what others think and say of us when we seek the healing of our souls. There never will be wanting people who will tell us that it's too soon or too late, that we're going too fast or too far, that we need not pray so much or read our Bible so much or be anxious about our salvation. We must give no heed to such people. Like Bartimaeus, we must cry out all the more, Jesus, have mercy on me. And it was at this moment that Jesus, we're told, stood still. Bartimaeus' persistent, loud cries stopped Jesus in his tracks. This is an encouragement. Pray fervently. Don't give up. Jesus didn't stop the first time he heard he had to keep crying out. He had to press on through discouragement after discouragement. He had to feel awkward and weird before Jesus turned and he got the Lord's attention. Let me say this, not every prayer 
receives the same attention from God. Not all prayers are equal. Not all sins are equal, are they? Not all prayers are equal. In prayers, we must press on. We must continue. We must be fervent in our prayers. Spurgeon said, No prayer ever reaches God's heart which does not come from our hearts. And he said very cheekily, Nine out of ten prayers which you listen to in our public services have little zeal in them. In fact, if they obtained a blessing, it would be a miracle of miracles indeed. <laughs> I wonder how his uh, elders and deacons felt after hearing that. Um, but Jesus stops and he, he turns and he asks for Bartimaeus to be brought to him. And in Luke's gospel, the language is very strong. It says Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. I go, we've got a picture here of the effectual calling of God. The effectual calling of God. Let me say this. You can reject the gospel, can't you? Of course you can. It's what you'll naturally do. Every time. Until that moment that Jesus says, come here. Come here. When I ask Christians about their testimonies, and I ask them this question, I say, could you ever imagine what you've just told me about you being a Christian and how you got saved. Can you ever imagine not being a Christian, turning Christ down? And they say, well, not now. Because when Christ calls you and says, now's the moment, now's the moment, you come. Jesus says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Not may, not, may, not might, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out such encouraging words and in the same passage of conversation Jesus says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him no one can come to me not one unless the father who sent me draws him this is a picture also for us of the work of the evangelist isn't it this crowd that just seconds before was rebuking Bartimaeus be quiet you weirdo now get up He's calling you. And they bring him to Jesus. That's our job as the church. Is to bring people to Jesus. Christ said before he ascended, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. And that's our job. To go to the blind, to the beggars, to the poor, to those in the alleys, to those in the ditches. And say, take heart, Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you. Whatever pain or trouble you're in, take heart. He's calling you today. And then we read that Bartimaeus casts off his outer cloak. What's this outer cloak? Well, have you ever seen a beggar who lives out on the streets? They've always got baggage with them, haven't they? They've usually got some kind of sleeping bag or big coat that they wear. And that's what we're talking about here. Bartimaeus takes off his outer coat, which would have kept him warm and he throws it away and in the original language here it says that he literally jumps up to his feet you know there's no delay he's up on his feet he's up on his toes and he doesn't let it hinder him he gets to Jesus casts off that 
outer coat, cloak. Why? Because it was probably heavy, big, could have tripped him over. Throws it away so it cannot hinder him coming. Brothers and sisters, we've got to cast off every hindrance, every worldly comfort in order to pursue Jesus today. Even as Christians, we have to remember this. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Are we ready to cast off every weight? Are we ready to cast off every worldly comfort that we go to instead of going to Jesus? Are we ready to spring to our feet right now to serve him in these days and not delay, but be ready to be on our toes to serve the Lord? And then he comes to the Lord and Jesus turns and addresses him. What's really amazing is the way that Jesus addresses this blind beggar who would have looked dirty, he would have smelt bad and Jesus speaks to him with such politeness and such honour. What would you like for me to do for you? You know, even the most poor, broken and dirty in this world, in the eyes of Christ, they are his express image. They are lovely. They are worthy of honour. He addresses him with dignity. What would you like for me to do for you? He doesn't assume what the man wants, but he wants for the man to say what he wants. And this question, what do you want me for Dick to do for you? It's the same question he asked to James and John, isn't it? Just in the last few verses. But Bartimaeus doesn't want greatness or riches or power or influence. He says this, Rabunai. He doesn't say Rabbi, he says Rabunai, which means my Lord in Aramaic. In fact, it's a title that's generally reserved for deity, not for mankind. He says, I want to receive my sight. I want to see again. I want to see again. And Jesus literally says, go, go. Your faith has saved you. I want to take just a few moments before we close and go into some ministry time. I want to talk about what this is, what, what Jesus meant by that. Your faith has made you well. What did he mean by that? Was Jesus referring to his faith as some hidden inner quality that only he could see? Some nebulous force that the man directed towards Jesus in order to get his miracle? I don't think so. Because earlier in this same book, we have a story of a, of a paralyzed man being lifted through the roof of a house by his friends. And I want to read that to you, just to put this in its proper context. In Mark 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, And when they could, get, they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. How did Jesus see their faith? Well, it was in their action of lowering their friend 
through the roof. That's what he meant by your faith. And in the case of blind Bartimaeus, what did he mean by your faith has made you well? The faith was expressed in crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That was his faith. And I want to, I want to warn you, I want to warn you against some of the false teaching of the word of faith movement who have redefined faith in unbiblical terms. They turn this, this beautiful faith of Bartimaeus, desperation for mercy from Jesus. They turn what Jesus says is pure faith into entitlement, into entitlement and conceitment. They teach people to sort of think like this. Well, I'm royalty. Because I'm the son or the daughter of the king, you know, I'm just going to believe that I deserve all the best of things and I'm just going to believe it till it manifests. You know, the best car, the best house, the best health, the best wealth, all of these things. I expect it. They expect these things. I believe it. I receive it. But that isn't the faith of Bartimaeus. That isn't the faith of the men who lifted their friend down through the roof. That's entitlement. That's conceit. That's not the kind of faith that Christ praised. Word of faith preacher Andrew Womack seems to disagree with Jesus. Andrew Womack says, we will not obtain the miracle we seek by impassioned pleas to God. We will not. But isn't that literally what happens with Bartimaeus? There's an impassioned plea to God and he receives his miracle. Andrew Womack says, no, we will not obtain the miracle we seek by impassioned pleas to God. It requires faith to obtain a miracle. So whatever faith is to Andrew Womack, it's not what Jesus says it is. Brothers and sisters, mark and avoid Karis Ministries. Mark and avoid Andrew Womack. I'm not saying everything he says is wrong, but he's wrong on this, and that's very severe. The word of faith's movement's teaching on faith isn't Christian. It's not Christian, it's New Age. Let me read a New Age quote to you. See how familiar this sounds if you've been in a word of faith movement. Decide what you want. Believe you can have it. Believe you deserve it. And believe it's possible for you. That's not a Christian. That's actually a, a famous New Age guru. Sounds so similar, doesn't it? Jesus says, your faith has made you well. John Calvin said, the faith that saves. By the word faith is meant not only a confident hope of recovering his sight, but also a loftier conviction, which was that this blind man acknowledged Jesus to be the Messiah who God had promised. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's the faith that Jesus says saves and delivers. Do you have that kind of faith? Or is your faith more the entitled, I'm a child of God, I'm a son of royalty, I deserve it. Because that's not the faith that Jesus praises and honors. I believe that we ought to have faith for physical healing today. I believe we can hope for that. 
And we ought to pray and believe that God might give some of us the gift of healing. I want for us to press into that, to believe God to heal the sick. However, we must come face to face with the reality that not everyone who prays for physical healing this side of glory will be healed. That's just a bare fact. However, all who come to Jesus for salvation this side of glory will be saved. All those who genuinely believe and are born again will be saved. There's no doubt there. You know, I've seen people get supernaturally healed. I've prayed for people who have been healed, who do not believe in God, who reject the gospel, and I've seen them get healed in front of my eyes, and they still reject the gospel. It's just the story of the 10 lepers, isn't it, who were healed. Only one came back. But I've never seen someone who was truly saved reject the gospel because they weren't physically healed of something. Jesus transformed Bartimaeus from a beggar beside the road to a disciple on the road. And that's our story too. That's our story too. When Jesus saves us, he doesn't expect for us to just leave off following him and go and do our own thing. But we're to stop what we're doing, turn and follow him. Just like the story of Elisha and Elijah, we don't take our eyes off Jesus, we follow him. That's what a Christian is, just as blind Bartimaeus displays. And I want to ask that today, just to encourage you again. We must be following him on the road. We're to follow Christ. Drop any worldly comfort, any hindrance, any unforgiveness that we're living in. We want to get that stuff off us and follow him in the way. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. If you'd like to stand as well, if you're able. Firstly, I want to take a moment and just do some ministry here. If you're here today and you have got a physical illness, disability, or something that is um, unseen physically but is just as real that you would like healing for. Um, I want you to be brave and just raise your hand. We won't ask you what that thing is. But if you want healing today from something, pop your hand up. If you can see somebody with their hand up near you, I want you to just stretch your hand out. Or just if they're comfortable, lay a hand on them. So have got someone over here. If we could just, people could come in across and pray for Darren we're just going to take a moment now and um, we're going to pray for healing so go ahead and pray go on Lord God we believe you're a healing God you don't change there's no shadow of turning in you and so right now Lord God we pray for deliverance from any physical condition any mental condition, any soul hurt or wound, we know that you can heal. You are the great physician. And we pray right now, freedom 
from physical oppression, from disease, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for healing. Amen. And Lord, we also pray that we, just like blind Bartimaeus, would have the courage to press through. When maybe friends and family are looking at us and thinking we're weird or embarrassed for us as we follow you. Lord, we pray for a boldness, just like Bartimaeus, to keep crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord, whatever we might be praying for, maybe there are some here today who've lost hope. You've been praying for things and you haven't seen an answer yet. Take courage. It took Bartimaeus many times of crying out, many times of pressing through rebuke before Jesus stopped and turned to him. Let us take encouragement not to leave without an answer, to press in until Jesus says, come here. And Lord, we pray also for strength to keep following you in the way. We pray, Lord God, that we would not be like those nine lepers that received a healing, received sight, received new life and just went off and did our own thing. But we'd be like Bartimaeus who turned around, left his place of living and went with you, followed you with all that he was.